So today is uh, the night of Thursday. I extend my greetings to all of you. It's coming up close to Visaka Puja now. And uh, the day that uh, comes around once a year. And it's an important event uh, for the hearts, the hearts of all Buddhists. Because if we didn't have this important day, um, then we wouldn't have the uh, we wouldn't have the opportunity to be freed from suffering, and that the Buddha developed his paramis to help all beings to show them the path out of suffering. So on this day, we recollect the Buddha's birth, his awakening, his final nibbana. But before he took this last birth, um, he was very intent and sincere in his determination throughout many lives to help all beings be free from the cycle of birth and death to relieve them from the suffering that they have in their hearts. Um, And that suffering that's caused by clinging and uh, attachment that leads us on to birth and death many times. It's like he walked on a path that went very, very long. There's this path that extends uh, from one end of the universe to the other. And the path was uh, extremely hot, as it was was, uh, laid with uh, hot coals. But the Bodhisattva was willing to walk barefoot over uh, this path. And each step that he took was excruciatingly painful and very hot. But he was willing to do that, to, to take each step and to, to walk along this path to its end, to walk along these coals in order to um, relieve the suffering of beings. But he had to develop his parami in this way. So this is an, an example of his, or a, a simile that we can give for his compassion. So he went through all this effort and um, had to endure a lot in order to bring his inner spiritual qualities to perfection. So such as the quality of kanti or patient endurance or this uh, perfection of morality. In some lives he had to give up his own body, his own life for the benefit of others. And so like that life that he um, was willing to jump off a cliff in order to feed the tiger who had just given birth because she was very hungry and was just about to eat her children. And he could see that this would be of great detriment to this mother, that her her goodness would all be finished with if she had done that. So he was willing to sacrifice his life to, to help her. And so the Buddha could see that all beings, whether people or animals, they all have hearts 
and they will wish to be free from suffering and they will have the potential to realize the, the Buddha nature, this inner Buddha. And even though some beings have a lot of greed, hatred and delusion, but if they're able to get to a point where they, where they can know that, where they can um, be up to speed, their mindfulness up to speed with these defilements, then it's possible for um, their inner Buddha to arise at that time, for them to destroy their defilements. And so the Buddha developed his paramis until they were all complete. And then he took this final birth, a birth into a normal human being, a normal human body with all of the normal parts that we have. But really, he wasn't normal in that the paramis that he had were uh, superior to any human being or deva or brahma. Because he had been developing these for an extremely long time. So the Buddha uh, had this great compassion to, uh, and this compassion, we, we can't find an end to it. It's, it's limitless. And, um, and that's why he took this birth for us. As a child, he uh, went to study at school and learned the, the knowledges and the, the subjects of that time. And he was uh, proficient in all of them. He later went to uh, study meditation. But even before that, when he was just seven years old, he was able to uh, get into the first absorption, the first jhana. And all of the subjects that he put his heart to, to learning, he could succeed in all of them. He was able to uh, reach the same level of knowledge as his teacher. And this was in preparation for him um, taking the throne after his father. But he was just willing to, or wanted to, to um, attain the... Uh, self-awakening and the knowledge that comes from that. And that's why he developed his Bharamis. So he studied uh, after he um, left the palace. He went to study with uh, Alara Kalama, his first teacher, and then Uddhika Ramaputta, his second teacher. And they taught him the jhanas up to eighth jhana. But really he'd been able to uh, attain these for many lives before, but it didn't lead him to enlightenment. What did lead him to awakening was developing anapanasati, the mindfulness of the in and out breath, getting into first jhana and then second, third and fourth jhana. When he came out, he could recollect his previous lives and see that they went back without any beginning. He knew this life and he knew his lives before this as well. He could see them more clearly, back a hundred lives, a thousand lives, a hundred thousand lives, millions of lives. It went on without any end. The next knowledge that he gained was uh, seeing the birth of beings in accordance with uh, the karma that they created. 
So we could see that people in this world are born in different states. And some beings are born as humans, some as animals, some uh, receive or have very easy lives, and some have very stressful, arduous lives. You could see that this is because of the karma that people had made that led them on to these births. So if they're born as a human and someone uh, is in a very poor and destitute state, or maybe other people are born into a, a family that is well off, but this is all because of the actions that they've committed in the past. And so if people commit skillful actions and those fruit, then the the fruits will be one of happiness. But if it's unskillful actions, then that will uh, bear uh, suffering as a result. So you could see this all clearly for sure, but that still didn't lead to his enlightenment. It was only when he contemplated into uh, dukkha, stress, suffering, its cause, uh, its cessation and the path leading to that, um, that he was able to realize enlightenment. could see that uh, it's initially avijja that causes the problem ignorance, which gives rise to uh, conditions and then to physicality, mentality and then contact, and then uh, craving, clinging, and then becoming birth, which results in stress and suffering and all the different types of um, painful things that we have to feel as a a result of that. And so each day we're born in this way, we kind of take a mental birth, uh, an inner birth, many, many times. Because there's a feeling of me and mine that arises in our hearts uh, very often. Whenever there's liking or disliking, um, and whenever there's any uh, impression that our mind senses, and then there's attachment to that, and... uh, and a feeling of self that arises around that. And so each day, we take birth multiple times. So there's this birth and death and birth and death uh, constantly going on in our minds. So the Buddha taught us this path of sila samadhi panya, of morality, of uh, concentration or the collectedness of mind and the wisdom. And that's something that we should develop a lot in order to be able to abandon the cause of suffering, the clinging, the the craving, and lead us on to nirodha, the cessation of suffering. So this clinging is what causes us this problem of suffering. So we should then know this well, know this um, process well, and come to practice the path to try to develop ourselves in sila samadhi panya. So we could call sila the collectedness and the restraint of our bodies and minds. But there's a further restraint that's higher than that, and that's the restraint around the senses, 
uh, the Indriya Sangvarasila. So whenever we see something, our, uh, a form contacts the eye, or whenever uh, we hear something, we smell something, we taste, we touch, or whenever there's a Dhamma Aramana, like a, a feeling or a thought arising in the heart, then we try to um, have restraint around that. And what that means is that we have a mindfulness there, not allowing the heart to get uh, involved in liking or disliking with regards to those things. If we practice in this way, then the fruits that we gain from the practice will come quickly. If we really try to keep um, restraint around the senses, whenever we're standing, sitting, walking, lying down, we have our mindfulness there, looking into our hearts, knowing what's going on. Whenever any feelings come up, or say someone praises us, or say someone um, disparages us, or we feel uh, happiness in our hearts, or we feel some kind of suffering, we have our mindfulness there, looking at that, knowing it. So all these different uh, things, whether it's um, praise or blame, gain, loss, uh, fame, distribute, happiness and suffering. These are the eight worldly dhammas. And these are the things that, having been born into this world, we have to meet with them. We have to experience these eight worldly dhammas. So we should contemplate into them and know them for what they are. So whenever we experience anything in our hearts, um, whenever we, whenever a form comes in, or whenever there's a, a sound or a taste or a touch or a thought, then we have our mindfulness there, um, up to speed, knowing it. And so these thoughts that come up, are they me? Are they mine? And sometimes we think good thoughts, sometimes we think bad thoughts. Um, and that's just normal. But we should have mindfulness there, knowing them. And it's of the nature of our brains to, to do this, to think like this. But if we um, know them in time, if our mindfulness is up to speed with our thoughts, then they won't create a problem for us. We can then ask ourselves, well, are these things really me? Are they really mine? Contemplate in this way. And try to not allow any attachment to arise. Because normally whenever we see something, whenever we contact something, there's a sense of self that arises around that, that we'll attach to that. And when we attach to that, then uh, that's a cause for us to experience stress and suffering. So we keep our attention here, our mindfulness here, uh, contemplating into all of these things, into all feelings, and seeing that they're not self. We see that when we see this, then we'll experience um, a form of emptiness, and our minds won't be caught into liking or disliking. If we can do this with skill, 
then we'll experience that emptiness and we'll experience the uh, 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 sunyata as emptiness. Or another way we could phrase that is anatta, not self. So we see that physicality is not self. We try to always to keep our mindfulness there. And when that's good, when our mindfulness is well established, when our hearts are, are firm and stable, then we take that state of samadhi and use it to contemplate into the body. Because this body is something that we have clung to for a very long time and something that we cherish dearly. We cherish our bodies and so that causes us to fear death. And we attach to everything inside them, all of the cells, all of the organs, every part of this body, we attach to that. And it's all a cause of uh, tanha, of craving for us. And we don't even know when it is that we began to attach to this thing. As far back as we can remember as children, we already had clung to them. We'd already seen these bodies as, as being me, as belonging to me. And so this, this is um, what we can call sakayaditi, um, the taking of physicality, mentality, of rupa and nama as being a true self. But at the beginning, it's not possible for us to just destroy all sense of self and attain arahanship. So what we need to do is begin to gradually bring our views around in line with reality. To start to change our views of seeing things as self and start to bring them around to see it as not self. So we can, tie, we can try touching our hand and feeling the bones there in our hands. We have uh, our thumbs, we have our fingers, a little finger. And we feel all the bones there. And then we can ask ourselves, well, this bone that's here in this finger and the bone in another person's finger, are they really different? I mean, they're just calcium all the same. And animals have bones as well, and that's just calcium. So, but it's a mind that that differentiates these things, that discriminates like this, that separates things out into animals and people because of the clinging that's there in our hearts. So when our minds have reached a state of peace, then we should use that to contemplate this body, to teach ourselves that it's not self until we're able to accept that. We can accept that truth. If, we, uh, if a thought arises, then we need to instruct ourselves that that thought, it's not me, it's not mine. And eventually, if the mind is peaceful, we'll be able to accept that. And in accepting that, the heart will become empty. We'll know that this body is not self, it's anatta. We'll experience emptiness and uh, temporarily um, abandon and let go of the body. And this is a temporary Nibbāna. So the heart that is not caught in 
liking or disliking, the heart that is uh, poised at the center, that is Nibbana. So we should have effort there to uh, realize these things with clarity. So the restraint of our senses, uh, Indriya Sangla it's important because that's what takes us to not getting caught in liking or disliking. So one way of doing that is knowing enough around food, knowing how much food is enough. Because if we eat a lot, then that'll bring us problems and difficulties within our body. And so for monks, we recollect that we just eat enough to be able to uh, stay on to the next day, to be able to have the energy to practice and to uh, fulfill our duties around the monastery. And also for the lay people, you know, to have a sense of enoughness around food as well. You know, to not eat so much that the body becomes very heavy. And then that'll aid uh, meditation practice. So we put an effort in this practice. And it doesn't mean that we have to do walking meditation all throughout the day. What it means is that we try to have mindfulness constantly and try to bring our hearts to stillness. We can try bringing up the meditation mantra, Buddha, Dhammo, Sangho, and if there's a lot of thoughts going on, then we do that quickly, we recite those chants very quickly, or the, that, that mantra very quickly. And this is a way of fighting with our thoughts. It's a way of changing the information that's being put into our minds, away from thoughts and towards this mantra. When we've gained peace of mind, then we look into the body, contemplate the body. And this is the way of knowing and realizing the Dharma for sure. It's the fastest path um, to, for us to take. And it's what Ajahn Chah taught himself. And I, I myself walk this path as well, and I've gained the fruits from that path. And so we shouldn't have doubts about it. But even if we do have doubts, just carry on practicing and uh, give the Krubrajans, the these great teachers, the benefit of the doubt. You know, put your belief in them first and carry on with the practice. And then one day you'll see there are fruits for yourself. You'll witness the Dharma for yourself in your own heart. And this will cause our faith to be very stable, our faith in the, the teachings of the Buddha and the Buddha-sasana. So it's getting close to Visaka Puja now, where we recollect the enlightenment of the Buddha and that he, uh, after that, went out to teach in order to help all beings. And even though he passed into Nibbana a long time ago, if we perceive the Dharma with clarity, then we'll see the Buddha because the Buddha exists within the Dhamma. So we should all try to do this, to, to see the Buddha, to meet with the Buddha, to, to come to get to know the Buddha. Some people go to India in order to be close to the Buddha. They go to the places where he was born, where he attained awakening, where he first taught, and where he passed away into Nibbana. And they gain great joy from that. And there's 
um, strong faith that arises. Faith that the Buddha really did exist. But oftentimes when they come back, then their effort drops. In India, they had all this faith and they're able to put effort into the practice, but then they come back to Thailand and that's, that effort goes. But really, whether in India or Thailand or wherever, we should keep up that faith and put effort into the practice and carry on with the practice until we see the Dharma for ourselves in our own hearts. Our faith will be uh, strong and unwavering then because we'll have seen the Buddha. So everyone be uh, firm in your your intent in the practice. And I wish that you all meet with success and that you all have strong health and that you all develop well. <laughs>